This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. What he's praying when you read John 17, you see what he is praying, John 17, 11. John 17, 11 says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. None of them is lost. Three times he uses this word, kept, 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 preserve, preserve, preserve. 15, John 17, 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the evil. And even in the point where, where everyone may abandon us, Paul prayed, or Paul said rather, in, to Timothy, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 16, 2 Timothy 4, 16, he says, at my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me out of every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. So our goal, what we have to do, is keep ourselves in Christ Jesus. Keep ourselves in Jesus Christ. We are preserved in Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is to make ourselves love the Bible, to make ourselves love the Bible. Jesus said in verse 7 of this chapter, verse 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. But Psalm 119, 165 says, Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. Nothing will keep them back from God. So very vitally important. And now the Lord speaks of letting nothing offend us when he goes, when he says in verse eight and verse eight and nine of this chapter about cutting off the hand, cutting off the foot, and plucking out the eye. Now, again, offense is anything that keeps us back from God. So here the Lord is talking about 
something very dear to us. I mean, a hand, you know, and a foot. We have a limited number of them, you know, in the eye. And so he says, you know, he's not advocating cutting off hands and feet. That's, but this is like a Middle Eastern way of expressing a truth. The Middle Eastern way of expressing a truth would be like to, to say that, that, you know, a hand or a foot or an eye is very important to you. And following Christ and not letting anything come between you is more important, more important. For example, Abraham lived in a country that was idolatrous. Abraham's father and his family were idolatrous. They had idols. And therefore, God called Abraham in Genesis 12.1. Genesis 12.1, God said, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I'll show thee. So Abraham's idolatrous country, Abraham's idolatrous people, Abraham's idolatrous family stood between him and God. It stood between him and God. So God calls Abraham to leave his country and his people and his family to go to God. And for Abraham, leaving his country, leaving his people, leaving his father is like cutting off his hand. It's like cutting off his hand, cutting off his foot, plucking out his eye, because that stood between him and God if he didn't do it. And Abraham did it. So he said, okay, it's more important to follow God. Similarly, when Abraham was tried by God, and God told Abraham in Genesis 22.1, Genesis 22.1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, behold, here am I. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains I'll tell you about. So Abraham to sacrifice his son, we use that term, I might as well get my right hand open before that. That was like asking him to give his hand, his foot, his eye, but he went ahead, but God stopped him and said, now I know you love me. Same with Moses. Moses, Moses was living, he was the prince of Egypt. He was slated to become the Pharaoh. He was gonna be the ruler. Yeah, you lived to the palace. The palace was paint the palace pleasures, paint the palace security, the strongest nation on earth. And he was the man. And when God called him to leave it, it was like, might as well tell him, you cut off your right hand. But Abraham says, I won't be trapped in, by sin here, and he did it. Now the Lord is still on the subject of little children that he had started in verse three, when he said that, in verse three, he said that we all need to be converted, we all need to become like little children if we have any hope of getting into heaven. That's what he said in verse three. And now he continues with this theme, with this idea of little children in verse 10, in verse 10, when he said, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So he says, don't despise the little one. Don't despise the little one. But, and he gives a reason why. You know, don't say to the little one, beat it, brat. Don't do that. He says, don't despise them. He gives a reason for doing that. He gives a reason. In verse 10, he says, I say unto you, he says that in heaven, their angels are looking constantly at the face of God. That's news to us. Who knew that? Who knew that? Who knows what's going on in heaven? Much less this. And the issue is who can tell us about what's going on in heaven? Not man, but who can better tell us about what happens in heaven than the Lord who said about himself in John 3, 13, when he was talking to Nicodemus, John 3, 13, he says, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. So here in verse 10, the Lord Jesus is telling us about heaven. We had no clue about this. Who knew? Little children have their own angels, who knew? 
We didn't know that. We didn't know any of these details. I mean, you know, verse 10, they're angels. I mean, that means that God has assigned specific angels to be angels for specific little children. Who knew that? But God has assigned his angels to be angels for little children. And what are they doing, these angels? What are they doing? He said, well, we're not exactly sure. We know from Hebrews that they're sent to be ministering spirits to minister to those who be the heir of salvation. We don't know. But from the context of what he says, it looks like those angels for those little ones are in a state of communication with the Father about the little ones. Because from the context, the Lord is warning in the first part of this verse, don't despise the little ones because their angels are looking at the face of the Father. So from verse 10, it's flowing. The warning is flowing to give a reason for that warning to not despise the little one because the angels are in such close contact with the Father. They're always looking at the face of the Father. It means that an angel for maybe reporting to the Father said, my little one that I'm responsible for, Father, there's somebody despising that little one. And the Lord's saying, don't risk it. Don't risk despising a little one because it's not worth the risk of having that little one's angel bring that report to the Father. And why would a person despise a little one? Well, they're weak and they're, they're, they're most vulnerable. And so Christ tells us that the angels for the little ones are always beholding the face of the Father. That means that those angels are not just seeing the Father's face from time to time or when they happen to come into the presence of God. It means that they're always looking at the Father's face, like Esther. For example, we think about Esther. Esther only saw the face of the king, her husband, King Ahasuerus, when she went in and was allowed to come into the king Ahasuerus' presence. But these angels are seeing the face of the Father nonstop from verse 10. The other angels do always behold the face of the Father. That means the Father spends a lot of time with those, those angels. And you ask the question, who does the Father choose to spend a lot of time with? Well, he chooses to spend a lot of time with those who have involved themselves in what he's involved with. For example, Let's just picture that you're a contractor, you're a construction person, and you're focused on this building has got to get built there. It's the construction of the building. That's what your interest is. That's what you're doing. And that's what you're absorbed with, how this building is coming along. So if someone comes along and starts to take up your time and starts talking about, you know, he just got back from Tahiti and he wants to go on and on about his, how wonderful his vacation was in Tahiti, you don't have time for him. Because you're not going to spend your time with that person because what you're focused on is this building, not about Tahiti. And you don't have time to talk to somebody about their beautiful vacation in Tahiti. But if someone comes along and wants to talk to you about the progress of the construction of the building, you got all the time in the world to talk to him. See, for the Father, these angels are always in the presence of the face of the Father. It means that these angels are focused on what the Father is focused on, which is his little children and their journey to God. So the term seeing the face of the king, it has a special meaning, seeing the face of a king. For example, again, back in the book of Esther, it gives a list of people's names who saw the face of the king, King Ahasuerus in Esther 1.14. Esther 1.14, it says, and next unto him was, and here's a list, Karshana, Shetar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marsena, Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face. That's what it says. Which saw the king's face and which sat at the first in the kingdom. See, these are the men who are said to have seen the king's face. And the reason these men saw the king's face, the king of Ahasuerus' face, was so that they could 
it wasn't so that they could enjoy seeing the king. Oh, I look and see or brag about it. Those men, they saw the face of the king because they were constantly reading from the face of the king, the will of the king. And they carried out the will of the king just from seeing the face of the king. When Haman was killed, it was that Ethiopian servant there that the uh, king Ahasuerus didn't have to say, kill him. He read the face of the king and then he put a bag over his drape over his head and took him. So these men were trained to know the, what the king wanted just from seeing his face. I mean, the idea behind this saying to see the face of the king is that those men were ready at the will to do the will of the king just from reading his face. They just read his face. You know, the Bible talks about us seeing the face of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That means that just as it was with those men who saw the face of King Ahasuerus so they could do the will, they could read in his face and they could do the will of King Ahasuerus, just as it was with those angels of the little ones who are seeing the face of the Father so they can do the will of the Father, we see the face of Jesus Christ for the same purpose, so that we can do the will of Jesus Christ. And those men in the book of Esther, they see the face, they saw the face of King Ahasuerus with an expectation to receive orders from King Ahasuerus. And those angels in verse 10, they see the face of the Father with an expectation to receive orders from the Father. And we see the face of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 with an expectation to receive orders from Jesus Christ. There's this look with a readiness to serve. And that's really what's brought out for us in Psalm 123, 2. Psalm 123, 2. Psalm 123, 2. It says, Behold, as the eyes of a servant look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. And it's interesting that the first words of Paul when he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus he doesn't say, oh, I receive you as Savior, I accept you as Christ. He says in Acts 9, 6, Acts 9, 6, it says, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's the eyes. And so Jesus now tells what the Father wants done in verse 11, verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. See, this is the Father's will that the lost should be saved. And what those angels are reading on the face of the Father is that the lost children should be saved. The angels read this from the face of the Father because when someone is saved, the face of the Father lights up with joy. When someone is lost, the face of the Father frowns in sadness. When someone blocks another from, through an offense of coming to Christ, the face of the Father shows anger, and they learn how to read that. And those are the expressions that the angels reading are reading on the face of the Father, joy, sorrow, anger. And it tells those angels by those expressions, what the will of the Father is for the lost. So the Father's will is not just that some of the lost, not just that the group called the elect, not just the group called the predestinated, not just the group called the chosen should be saved. The Father's will is that all should be saved and none should perish from 1 Timothy 2.3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and become the knowledge of the truth. And 2 Peter 3, 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all 
should come to repentance. And this is the reason the little ones are not to be despised in verse 10. It's because Christ came to save them. And that's the reason that no one should offend these little ones, these little, the Greek word there is skandalon. It also can mean a stumbling block. Don't press, don't put stuff in their path that they're going to trip up on and turn away from God. The Lord, according to verse 11, is trying to save those little ones. And if anyone puts a stumbling block in the way of those, there's children. The Lord says, it's better you weren't born because they're working directly against Christ. So the idea that no one should do anything to those little children is they're making their way slowly to God. Why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 19, 14, Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, suffer little children, forbid them not to come unto me for as such is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, don't do anything to cause those little children to stumble as in their little lives they make their way toward God. Encourage them. It's why child evangelism fellowship is so important. It's why the work of Ruthie and Claudia in Brazil is so important. We should get behind them. We should give to them. We should pray for them. We should encourage them. So the whole concept of the father spending time with those who have his interest, which are focused on the same thing he's focused on, means that if we make in our lives the same focus as the father's, the same focus as Christ's interest, we're going to be spending a lot of time with the father. We're going to be in his presence because spend time with those who are on the same page as him, have the same interest. Now, speaking about what the Father and Christ are focused on, speaking about what their interests are, he says this in verse 11, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. I mean, he's been talking about, he's talking about heaven, telling us things we didn't know about in heaven, he's talking about angels for little children, and they're always beholding the face of the Father. We didn't know that. And so with this in mind, he now says these words in verse 11, the Son of Man is come. Naturally, you say, come from where? Come, where did he come from? He's come. He came from heaven. And because, and he came from heaven, he's emphasizing this, and the question becomes, why did he come from heaven? Why did he come from heaven? Not what was he going to do, why did he come from heaven? And he came because he was sent. He was sent. And the book of John really hammers down on this point. He was sent, he was sent, he was sent. John 5, he, Christ, in the book of John, he speaks about himself in John 5, 23. John 5, 23, the Father which has sent me. John 5, 30, the Father which has sent me. John 5, 36, the Father hath sent me. 5, 37, the Father himself which hath sent me. 5, 39, John 5, 39, this is the Father's will which has sent me. John 6, 44, the Father which has sent me. 6, 57, the living Father has sent me. 8, 16, the Father sent me. 8.18, the Father that sent me bears witness of me. 8.29, he that sent me is with me, the Father has not left me alone. It goes on and on. 8.42, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. 10.36, the Father sanctified and sent me into the world. John 12.49, the Father sent me. I have not spoken of myself. John 14.24, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. Keeps coming back to this authority. I have the authority because I've been sent. John 7, 17, 21, the Father, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That was important. John 17, 25, righteous Father, these have not known that thou hast sent me. These have known that thou hast sent me. John 20, 21, the Father has sent me, and so I send I you. And finally, 1 John 4, 14, where John just says, we've seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son. You can see here that Jesus is consumed with the fact that he was sent by God the Father into the world. And that's the prominent meaning behind the word Messiah or Christ. 
it means sent to call Jesus the Christ or to call Jesus Christ or the Messiah means to call Jesus the one who was sent by God the Father. And that's why behind the Lord's statement, the Son of Man is come, we can see him very happy as he says that to wear the title Messiah because that's a title that says, I'm sent. And that's why he's not just Jesus, but he's Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the sent one. The Christ is his name, and it's a statement that Jesus came from heaven, that he was sent from heaven by the Father. So what was he sent to do? That's verse 11. Verse 11, he's come to save that which was lost. It's really the message of John 3.16. Message of John 3.16, you know, we say, for God so loved the world that he gave. His only we could plug in the word sent very well in John 3.16. John 3.16, it could very well read, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish. So now we come to verse 12, verse 12, and we can see him now in verse 12, we kind of picture him in our mind, and he's kind of looking into the eyes of the people hearing him, and he wants to engage their conversation, engage their thinking. He wants them to, he's trying to draw them in. So rather than just lecture, 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 like I do, but anyway, rather than do that, he says, what do you think? It's a very good question. How, what do you think? I don't want to ask that because we only have so much time. But anyway, he does that. He says, how think he? And then he asks this question. If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the 99 and go within to the mountains and seek if that which is gone astray? So he's got this engaging, he's trying to say, think. You know, he's saying, think. He says, how think he? You might as well say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And his question that goes about a sheep that's gone astray, a sheep's gotten lost is a terrifying word, especially for the lost one. It's a terrifying word in verse 12. If a man have a hundred sheep, one of them be gone astray. So last Thursday, the water was warm in Loretto. It was 81 degrees, Sea of Cortez. So I decided to go with a group of um, three others and a guide in the scuba dive. Sea Cortez is very interesting for scuba diving because it's this huge mountain range. When you, know, you look at it, so that's just water. But underneath, they have some valleys that go down almost 10,000 feet. The average depth in the Sea Cortez is 2,500 feet. So on this day, on, on Thursday, our, our dive goal was to dive at 70 feet around one island. And we were to stay together as a group. And each one of us had a partner. And we were not to go below 70 feet as we moved along this little island that had huge boulders. It was a big cliff for huge boulders and uh, we were looking at the sea life and we were told too that around this island of Danzante there are very significant currents very strong currents and that we were to stay close to the boulders to be protected from these currents and that way we wouldn't exhaust ourselves trying to fight against the currents but stay close to the boulders well I got down there it was so captivating just to be there I mean it is all silent and quiet and it was warm like being wrapped in a blanket and beautiful sights of these fish and sea urchins and starfish and and I was just kind of lost a little bit in wonder and then there was this one little fish wasn't big but he was all purple and he caught my attention and I started just to kind of daydream and imagine I wonder what that fish is seeing and I wonder what he's thinking and I wonder what his challenges are and I don't think he cares anything about the war in the Middle East or North Korea getting nuclear weapons or the, the infrastructure bill. So I just kind of started to think, you know, I think I'm going to just try to 
see what that fish sees and get challenged with what he's concerned about. And for that moment, I just wanted to become that little purple fish. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.